And welcome back to the Spinner Rack. This is uh, the Marvel New Universe podcast, and I'm your host, Stephen. And other host, co-host? I'm going to be co-host, Andy. Yeah, co-host sounds good. We are n- Neither of us is superior to the other in seniority or... I felt like co-pilot saying that, so I mean, co-pilot seems second. Okay. Well, but today I'm the co-pilot, and then we'll switch chairs next time. But that's pretty much how we do it. It is similar in a way. Oh, interesting. Anyway, today uh, I will be covering um, Kickers, Inc. And Kickers, Inc. is a group of heroes for hire, all off-season pro football players, led by Jack Magnaconti who gains superhuman strength, speed, and invulnerability after the white event at the cost of his brother's life. Today's uh, issue is number three. Yep, and I've got Mark Hazard Merck. Uh, Merck's a Vietnam veteran turned soldier of fortune whose mercenary lifestyle has cost him the love of his family. But not in a Punisher way, they're just divorced. (laughs) Right. What if the Punisher's wife and son had lived? I'm sure that comic probably exists, actually. Yeah, those that. Yeah. Marvel's what if was always like, what if this other character had lived? Oh, the end of the universe would have happened eventually. I guess. <laughs> this is how they justified all that. <laughs> I guess we live in the best of all possible worlds, but um the Punisher's there, like in an underground shack, and with, happily there with his family. But then they pan out, and like the whole world is destroyed. And he's like, <laughs> "But my wife's here. <laughs> We're totally worth it." I don't care about the rest of you," says Frank. Anyway, so let's I would read see. the comic. So take us away with Mark Hazard Merck. All right, I will indeed. Uh, so Mark Hazard, Merck, number three, uh, it's got a nice headshot of uh, Mark on the cover looking grizzled and uh, with his trademark cigarette. Uh, this issue is, uh, again, we have Peter David as the writer. Um, we changed artists. So we have Alan Cooperberg listed as storytelling, uh, which always drives me crazy when they just give him the sort of the odd ones, but presumably uh, pencils and maybe inks. Um, and Jack Fury with finishes, who we've seen before, and I think that's a code name for somebody helped finish it, but doesn't want to put their name on it. I think interesting, an Alan Smithy production. Yeah, <laughs> I think. I mean, storytelling is really vague because then it sort of bleeds over into the like the plot as well. There's like breakdowns is when you take a plot and you just sort of have the, the rough figures locked in and finishes. I usually think of as kind of taking that from to like more detail and maybe adding ink. But this is, yeah, yeah, sort of contrary never, to Marvel. Yeah, I can never tell if they're being cute or if that means something. So in this case, I don't know. <laughs> um, but Alan Kupperberg, you know, Another guy with sort of a long history of comics, best I can tell, uh, maybe came to Marvel after a really long run on Blue Devil for DC. That's interesting. Mm. Um, But uh, for Merck, 
Uh, last issue, our kill count was two, which is not too much. Uh, so we'll see if we can top that today. Um, and last issue, he was uh, at his son, his somewhat estranged son's baseball game uh, where his ex-wife's new husband unwittingly called down some assassins on him and he had to take care of business. Um, so we pick up issue three where the police have tracked him down. Interestingly, the end of issue two, it looked like he was, you know, he's walking away and saying, I better go sort this out with the cops. Uh, issue three here, the cops are saying, yeah, you just blew us off and left. So I guess he wasn't uh, being honest there. Uh, but we have two new characters in uh, police officer Artie, uh, normal looking guy in a green suit and Lieutenant Claire Burnett, uh, which uh, seems like she has a little bit of history with Merck. We're meeting her here for the first time, but she sort of mentions uh, that she's gotten to know him a bit, probably uh, <laughs> because he's always showing up around dead people. <laughs> That's yeah, she, she could see him on a weekly basis, uh, given Merck's... Uh lifestyle choices yeah. or at least every time he gets a job um so yeah so, so they're questioning about the scene uh while he's sitting at a table in his kitchen assembling a gun <laughs> uh which is a very merc thing to do um so they kind of recap uh his kill count you know first goon just got a kick second one stabbed and shot third one shot mark hazard of course said something along the lines of uh went for the clean sweep there <laughs> only two goons down <laughs> um but yeah so so they're questioning him um uh, while he's building his mg08 you know some sort of german machine gun i couldn't quite figure out exactly what it was um but uh, i i only thought like maybe is it really legal to have this machine gun at home i mean like you you'd you're taking something and assembling it in front of cops and it's possible they just, there's a, you know, once it's assembled, you're, you're committed a crime. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, that would be a good question of where we stand on the assault weapons ban in 1986. I mean, I think things were looser back then, but New York city was probably fairly tight. So who knows? Yeah oversight or you know <laughs> they're just so used to mark hazard that they don't really think about it <laughs> that's that's the explanation in my head like it just seems like such a mark hazard thing to do that they're not even picking up on the fact that it's probably illegal yeah i mean i i, I sort of have a image of his gun collection at home as being like ranging into the you're not supposed to have this uh yeah pretty easily so i mean for sure um so again so he's assembling the gun you know they're kind of threatening him with arrest uh he makes a little joke that he's, he's finished assembling it but there's some pieces left over when his phone rings uh and we get another character um uh, we don't see him yet but he's on the phone calling mark for a new job uh jacob ram um and a little cut to uh, a scene from philadelphia uh, Jacob Ram looks, if you know G.I. Joe, kind of like Dr. Mindbender without the monocle. He's got a, a nice twirly mustache <laughs> and a bald head. Um, so he's calling for a job. 
Mark Hazard's answering for a mercenary job while the police are in his apartment <laughs> listening to his half of the conversation, uh, which I like. So yeah, he doesn't want to take the job. It sounds like, again, there's some history there. He says, you're too bossy, not my style. Um, while he's trying to turn the guy down, the police are like, uh, a moment of your time, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so she's kind of gone out on the line for him, um, convinced the boss that he's not going to skip town, you know, but she also knows what that phone call is, uh, that he, he might be trying to take another job. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe she's leaving to just, you know, let him do his business then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so even before she goes, uh, essentially, uh, Jacob convinces Mark to take the job, mostly because uh, another guy, uh, Wolfson, is going to be on the operation who, who Mark Hazard doesn't like. And so the reason why it's convincing then is because uh, he gets, Mark would get to boss around Wolfson. So the, again, you know, getting some new characters with some history with Mark Hazard. Uh, that will uh, be an important part of this story. So, yeah, so he's on the phone, he takes the job, you know, the cops leave, you know. Actually, yeah, Clara says, I, I've come to think of you as a friend, so don't give me any grief. Yeah, grief, I get it from my boss, my husband, my two idiot teenagers, I don't need grief from friends. So friends to a point, I think is what we get here. He says, whatever you say, I won't set foot out of New York. Trust me. Smash cut to <laughs> him in Philadelphia. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Independence Hall. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So, yeah, again, he took the job. <laughs> we'll see if there's some consequences for that later. Uh, we meet, meet our next important character. Uh, so the job is protection. So they're uh, they've got an Israeli politician coming in for Israel Day, uh, which I believe is, what's that, March 22nd, if we're keeping track. I didn't oh, know right. that was okay. a thing, but there is, is, in fact, an Israel Day and a parade for it. It's just I'm ignorant of it. I'm uh, interested to hear that because that, I, that seemed a bit of a stretch for me. And yeah. in Philadelphia is kind of a... Yeah, I mean, if you search it, it pops up as New York City, but it sounds like it could certainly be an event anywhere. Um, but story-wise, I mean, I guess we got to take him out of the city in order to get him both away from and in trouble with the police here a little bit. Um, so he's supposed to protect Eli Weisenthal, um, who tells Mark Hazard with some questioning that, you know, he took... He took this parade at the last minute, and he's not particularly a popular politician. People don't really like them, like him. Um, and and the, I liked why he is not very popular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Taking a more understanding line towards the Palestinians. <laughs> oh, well, poor foolish Eli Wiesenthal. You'll learn your lesson soon enough. <laughs> Yeah, sounds. Like, I'm pretty sure that'll get you in trouble with a bunch of people today too. So, so 1986. Well, haven't changed that much. It's quite impressive in some ways. Yes. Yeah, impressive and sad. So, uh, but yeah, so he took his last-minute substitution in 48 minutes, right? But the parade's ready to go, 
right? So they're walking out Weisenthal, and then we get our first meeting between uh, Mark Hazard and his old rival buddy got, turned sour, uh, Wolfson, um, who's got kind of like a square haircut and big glasses, another mustache. You know, he looks a little bit older. Um, you know, definitely, definitely a different visual than Mark Hazard's kind of uh, grizzled but handsome. They spent a lot of time in the early issues uh, having the, the ladies kind of spoon, spoon over Mark. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't quite see that they referred to him as Colonel Wolfson and as like the government military liaison. So I was expecting more active duty, but I it looks more like a suit than like a, a, a dress uniform. Yeah, it's green, so almost military, but yeah, no marking. So it just looks like a suit. And it is kind of odd um, positioning here where you've got uh, Jacob, you know, someone in the Israeli government hiring both a mercenary and the military man to work the same sort of job rather than some sort of more official capacity. Um, but kind of more on that later, I guess, too. Um, so again, he's freaked out and kind of annoyed when he finds out that he has to work under Mark Hazard uh, for this Israel Day parade. But that's yeah, how it goes. He's mad at Ram. Yes, mad Ram at Ram really for not care. telling him. So uh, both of them really kind of rib on Wolfson. Um, but again, we're moving along pretty quick. Uh, you know, we, we hop him in the car, get him going for the Israel Day Parade. I'm pretty sure they rented the convertible from the Kennedy assassination for this poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Zapruder film looking. Um, I, uh, I, I looked up some pictures. It's pretty close. <laughs> Not sure if they use visual reference there, but I'm like, oh, poor man. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, yeah, it's the same setup. You know, you got two drivers. Mark Hazard's basically kind of sitting up in the back of the convertible parade style right next to uh, Weisenthal, uh, you know, waving parade style uh, as far as things go. So kind of we get a joke. And maybe the number one reason why Wolfson doesn't like Mark Hazard is apparently he strung him up on a flagpole at uh, West Point. <laughs> Yeah, stripped him and left him hanging upside down from a flagpole. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I liked it when they're in the parade. Mark is, you know, sitting next to the guest of honor or something in the, the main car. And he's thinking to himself, Claire will never know. He'll be back with her none the wiser. <laughs> I would expect something like this to be on TV. You know? yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a TV camera on the next next uh, page too. Yeah, she'll never see me in this parade here. <laughs> what was that Ferris Bueller's Day Off? He was like in a parade. Absolutely. Okay. On we go. On we go. So we've got our Israel Day parade, um, and then we get a cut to you know further down the line. You can see something tube shaped sort of pointing down it's kind of hard to tell from this uh what we're looking at uh they're coming closer make sure this thing is loaded right so clearly as we all could definitely tell there's an assassination attempt coming here um which i guess nobody likes this guy anyway so so it goes <laughs> right, so 
uh, Mark Hazard and his wonderfully rectangular walkie-talkie phone. <laughs> um, let's see. Again, ribbing Wilson, ribbing Wilson. Uh, he's looking at the parade, you know, kind of starting to think a little bit to himself, worrying that, um, you know, Lieutenant Burnett might be in the crowd, realizing that's kind of, of course, not the case. You know, we see, do see our TV camera. Uh, he's smoking, notices a glint of light, or is that some sort of metal? All right, so he sees the shooter off in the distance. Um, the shooter recognizes that Mark Hazard has seen them, right? So eagle eyes abound. Um, mm. And then on the next page, the shot, right? So it turns out it's a bazooka of some kind, rocket launcher, you know, rocket propelled grenade, RPG, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't honestly know the difference between any of those terms. So it could be one, yeah. none, or any. Same. Drop, drop us an email. I guess we have a lot of more research uh, to do if we're going to cover Mark Hazard Merck. Yeah. I, I tried to look up his weapon he was assembling, but you know the the code number didn't really match what it looks like in the comic. So either I'm wrong, the internet's wrong, or the artist is wrong. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we get a shot, uh, a solid rack boom. You know the the car flips, everybody's tossed out, but mostly okay. Um, but as, as soon as the car goes down and Mark Hazard sort of stunned there, um, we've got more goons rushing in from the side with guns. Uh, so what happened? Nothing. Go to sleep. Bram, front and center. Blam. So we get our first kill, assuming kill, uh, from Mark Hazard as he takes out one of the goons that's sort of rushing in on them. Um, yeah, but, I think there's three guys with guns. Yeah, there's at least three coming in. Not exactly sure what happens to the other two, and I don't know that they match what happens next for the other guys. But there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people in this setup for sure. Um, mm. So another rocket blast kind of talks, tosses Merck to the side and on the ground, and then a classic motorcycle sidecar duo cruises in, sweeps in, grabs the politician, uh, grabs the. Chaver Knesset? Yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't research that either. I should have asked uh, an Israeli person at work. I could could check some of this with, but um, yeah, uh, the Knesset member, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, probably his role in government. Uh, so we got Mark Hazard. He's figuring things out as he's lying on the ground. Arab accents, Libyans, Syrians. Doesn't matter. They just grabbed his client. So whatever they are, they're dead. So pulls <laughs> off the yeah. Like, that, that is a huge gun. He brings up yeah. That um, the sidecar motorcycle thing to grab someone seems a little hard to to manage, but okay. Had that thing parked on the side of the parade, I guess. I mean, well, maybe I just, they were the, in the parade, physically like it. how you'd have to reach out and then sort of what pick this person and put them into the sidecar with you i mean it's yeah i mean the, the art gives the impression they're going pretty fast you know <laughs> really they would have just kind of rammed into him rather than being able to I mean, unless that guy is ridiculously strong and sticky it probably would have been a little hard but yeah well anyway anyway 
So Mark whips out his Uzi machine gun, but uh, Wolfson actually stops him. He kind of kicks it out of his hands. Are you out of your mind? You can't start blasting away. You'll hit civilians. So this is the first of uh, multiple battles between Hazard and Wolfson. Buzz off Wolfson. They grab my charge. Nothing's more important than that. Smacks him in the face, knocks him down. <laughs> That's it. I owe you, and here's where I collect. All right, so he grabs him by the throat. So they're going at it. Uh, the police break them up. And then, for whatever reason, again, you know, we're a little unsure of his authority at this point. Uh, Wolfson's like, officers, arrest this man. He's like, he's like come off it. Who's going to buy that crock? And he's like, this guy's a menace. You know, to the people of Philadelphia, I demand he be locked up. And smash cut to. Yeah. Yep, smash Mark. cut to the prison. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, so it's not working out so good. Uh, his jobs don't generally turn out smooth. Of course, that wouldn't make for a very interesting comic now, would it? <laughs> <laughs> the um, Yeah, Wilson, I guess, is, as a government liaison, has some pull with, uh, with the city government, or at least like they're more obviously inclined to believe him than this sort of random Merc, even though the guy was like sitting right. you know, in the car with the guy. And... Yeah, quite obviously part of the security detail. Uh, but yeah, so the, the police buy it, they throw him in holding, uh, and then we get some nice panels of Wolfson just being really weaselly, looking through the bars and kind of grinning at him. and. You know, now he's got the upper hand, right? So he's really going to try and stick it to him as much as he possibly can. Um, yeah, did you, did, oh, go ahead. Did you uh, recognize what he's referring to when he says the mayor wants to handle it with kid gloves? A few years ago, he firebombed a radical group holed up in a slum and he never heard the end of it. I was just going to bring that up. I thought that sounded amazing. Is that a real occurrence? 1985. Oof. I, I had to. I, I remember it happening. I don't remember the details. So apparently, there was this sort of. I don't know political group. They they were. It's it's under the category Black Power movements in Wikipedia, uh, right. and they they, um, I guess they'd had a run in with the cops in '78, and several members got arrested, and they, like one cop was dead. So maybe the the cops were like. Uh, not willing to uh, put up with them anymore. So it's whatever I, 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 they, they did, the uh, city firebombed this house they were staying in, killed six adults, five children, and the fire spread and destroyed about yeah. 60 homes. That's what I was thinking. I remembered that. It's, yeah, this fire spread. It's like, oh, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the but it's clearly not the government response you're hoping for from your city. <laughs> so yeah, so not a... back then. <laughs> like, have we not invented that yet? Boy. So yeah, but that was Philadelphia itself. So yeah, that's maybe another uh, good point with the location. So, yeah, those famous row houses, man. Don't don't let them catch on fire. <laughs> Indeed. Let that be known, future mayors of Philadelphia. Who who puts mayors in charge of firebombs anyway? Like that seems like a a, a stretch in their power. Uh, I the don't ribbon, know. It seems like the there's city, like militarized SWAT units. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, if you, but yeah, I don't know. It was, let's see, 85. So it's not like those active, like war personnel really. Yeah. Weird. But yeah, it was basically a real like military grade explosive. Oof. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, we got Wolfson harassing Mark Hazard. Um, you know, he kind of knows he might have him temporarily in there, but he knows Mark Hazard is going to want to save his charge. Uh, and he's got some sort of Weasley plan. Um, so Mark Hazard's thinking to himself, you know, he sees it coming now. The out hasn't been booked. Uh, just heaved into a cell. Ellen Wolfson say so. If he springs him now, he'll have a prayer of keeping this quiet. Claire needs never find out. So he's still kind of worried about the police back home. What do you want? Of course, he wants him to apologize for the West Point flagpole incident. Um, Mark Hazard, wanting to get the job done, gives him a probably not so sincere, all right, I'm sorry, like, get me out of here. And then Wolfson, of course, bad chance, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> What a weasel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's uh but it gets crazy. Impressive weaselness, really. Yeah. <laughs> so minutes, right? Seconds later, you know, hey, the, there's a lawyer looking for you. They bring him into a room and uh Jacob, who hired him in the first place, is there impersonating his lawyer, smacks the police officer with the briefcase, knocking him down. Uh, Wolfson charges in, gets punched by Mark Hazard, and then they're out the door. So, yeah. police break. <laughs> so, two I, cities of cops are going to be uh, having the out. Yeah, I think Mark he, at this point. Ram had given him like a fake mustache as a disguise to get outside. Oh, yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. Oh, well. And you can no barely he got see. Out -free. Yeah. yeah, I see him peeling it off. <laughs> you know, okay i guess that's funny so yeah i mean they don't even mention it uh in the dialogue so i think i missed that in the first place you really just kind of see it in one panel as he's pulling it off um but yeah so he he's trying to uh bust him out um hazard's all sorts of suspicious now you need a fall guy right you know and Jacob's playing it dumb, but you know, I figured you'd say that. Mm. So basically, they head directly to where the terrorists are holed up. So they, they had zoomed off with uh, our politician and basically uh, hold them up in a condemned building with the classic, like, let's threaten and make demands for things, uh, looking to have some a bunch of prisoners released or something like that in order to let him out alive or they're gonna otherwise they're gonna send him out in pieces but of course if you do that then you've got no reason that the mayor is not going to want to firebomb you so yeah and there's just the one hostage so that's not like um and he's not, an not a very strong yeah suspicion. you can just sit on that guy for for ages until you know someone offers you something i guess but yeah please are like yeah send out a couple fingers we don't care let's, let's see if you really do it everyone back in the office they're like oh my god i can't believe he really did it 
I was just joking with you. Come on. Oh, what? A couple fingers. Come on. Anyway. So, no one likes him. Remember that. No one likes no. him. No. But uh, I think Mark's sense of duty is carrying him, carrying him through anyway, though. So um, we've got a nice little cartoonish setup here, though. So you've got a abandoned building, a classic wrecking ball crane, and of course, uh, a good terrorist in the window with a gun shouting threats, you know, hurry up. With a, or what do you say? See the dog come apart easier than this building, right? Because it's actually kind of crumbling on him. It's like your demands are things not in our control. Perhaps the Philadelphia PD cannot release political prisoners. Um, <laughs> but we get a nice little action setup as Mark Hazard has activated the wrecking ball crane, jumped on the ball as it swings in towards the window. So watch where you're swinging that you're going to hit something <laughs> as the wrecking ball inches away from the guy's face. So he basically clobbers in with the wrecking ball while diving through the window. Uh, as crazy as that is, they, they throw maybe a touch of realism in there as, you know, he kind of hits the floor wrong, he feels his back hurt, and so he doesn't come out of it unscathed. It, it, it's at least painful to ride a wrecking ball into a building, apparently. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, the, he sort of is jumping off before the ball hits the building, so for him, it's just sort of a swing up, and he's trying to you know, it hits next to this window, so I don't know. With yeah, a, a good uh, gymnastic it's not skill. Totally physics defying, but it is a little bit wild. Um, so we get some more shots. He takes down the guy um, that he had hit with the wrecking ball. I'm going to call that a kill, though it's not 100% clear because he's just sprawled out on the ground. I'd say that uh, death count two at this point. Um, takes out another guy with a punch and then it looks and like the wrecking ball yeah. yeah then the wrecking ball again uh jacob is just hanging out in the machine swinging and having a good time yeah it's it's jacob helping him with the wrecking wrecking ball okay so he was the one driving it i see that makes sense um so all's left is a handful more goons and a rescue right so yeah he's feeling kind of screwed at this point um yeah should be home by now you know there's no way he's getting out of this one um but maybe he can at least rescue uh this politician so he you know kicks the door in here it looks like he's using the gun that he was assembling in the beginning um mm. kicks the door in says hit the deck you know fires kind of wildly in the room manages to not hit uh eli the politician uh, but still take out pretty much all the terrorists uh, he says you shot him in the legs mr hazard that shows great restraint he's like nope shows lousy aim you're lucky i didn't hit you this is uh at least four people plus eli in there Six. yeah but if they're all in the leg I'm, I'm saying that's not a kill it's very disappointing from our point of view i know yeah yeah, you, so far that's... I've got three. I don't think I mentioned the third one, but, you know, after punching out one goon, he shot another one. Yeah, so one in the parade, two in the building so far. That's, yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. 
that first yeah one gets out of my way gets several bullets and i doubt that those were in his leg yeah <laughs> so some good action here a lot of, lot of punching um we cut to uh rounding up the survivors here and basically arguments between jacob brahm and mark hazard at this point uh so they're all in the sort of paddy wagon police truck you know loading up all the goons um, um let me let me backtrack a panel yeah, sure. there where uh he, he's loading them up and uh, a local cop is arguing with uh, jacob ram and ram says i can do what i want chief these are international terrorists and as such fall under israeli jurisdiction what yeah the government will have you have your head if you get in my way I, he's probably just bluffing him there right yeah i guess <laughs> it's i mean the part where you pull you know diplomatic immunity or something on a guy on a local cop is you know fairly normal but um being like you know here's our suspects um no you understand this is a, a an israeli matter we'll just take them all um maybe i guess okay hey, anyway sorry if you don't like it feel free to give his consulate a buzz that's what i gotta <laughs> say <sighs> okay so mark an excellent job what stay away from me you heard you heard ahead of time something would be going down you pulled a switch subbing a politician no one would miss if you got iced an unpopular guy and then you hire me an american put in charge that way if the politician gets nailed your secret service has its hands clean because he died under american care that's absurd i'm hurt by your lack of faith let me show you i'll tell you what i have planned for these terrorists which is not pleasant <laughs> like, i don't care do what you want count me out i'm going home so then a very interesting denouement yes i like this scene another time another place another place right so we've got a dark room and a spotlight on the surviving terrorists which are clearly the ones that survived mark hazard in the building um and you know rom is there a bunch more guys are there kind of surrounded they're tied up uh and you know it's not looking too good for our leftover terrorists and then we cut to Mark Hazard in a dark room saying, this is intolerable. I'm not going to sit still for this, right? Implying that he's seeing what's going on and kind of, you know, seeing some questionable stuff. You know, is he going to intervene? Um, so we get some arguing. Uh, We're not afraid to die. What's that noise? Growl. Again, Mark, I'm not going to let this continue. I couldn't live with myself if I permitted this travesty to go on. Um, and so the terrorists get fed to the dogs uh, with a few comments about uh, religion and uh, Jacob uh, apparently has some history and you know, his family was blown up in a supermarket. Uh, so he's got some motivation to be, you know, taking things out on these poor guys. Oh, poor guys, but, you know, bad guys, really. They're getting eaten by, eaten by dogs, so it's hard to not feel a little sympathetic towards them. Um, but then Mark Hazard's not there. He is, in fact, at the movies. He says, first I shoot the projectionist, then I burn the prince. <laughs> He's sitting at the movies watching Rambo. <laughs> <sighs> I 
I guess he's unimpressed by Stallone. <laughs> this looks like Rambo 2 for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh, look at this now. Not enough. The man dodges shrapnel. Now he's got three million rounds in one clip. Stallone <laughs> must be found before he kills again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the police caught up to him. So we zoom out and uh, he's bracketed by Artie and Lieutenant Burnett. Uh, welcome back to New York. How are you? Just had my ribs taped up. Supposed to take it easy. Well, I got just the thing for you. You're under arrest. End of comic. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it really cuts. There's no uh, next time. And there's no, you know, I mean, I, I had to double check that that was the end. And the facing page to that is a very delightful ad for Star Comics. So. Yeah. It's like really lightens the mood, I guess. He-Man, Lionel, Care Bears. Kids. Maybe those will be his cellmates. Heathcliff, Top Dog. Coming up next time on Mark Hazard Merc. (laughs) Ewoks. Damn, Heathcliff, he stole my (laughs) prison food again. All right, so what did you think about Mark Hazard, Mark number three. Uh, I, uh, I gotta admit, this is a little uh, ambivalent because, in terms of um, action, it was good. In terms of world building, I liked it. It gave a good uh, glimpse into another part of Mark's life and sort of more that's expanding his circle around him. You can, you know. Um, I like the the uh, Claire Burnett lieutenant. Um, yeah. An interesting sort of um, uh, contrast or something. She's like definitely not a romantic interest, but a comrade kind of a feel to her. Um, but the the ending of basically of the story was like you know a little over the top um and that kind of like colored it um for me i mean this isn't like latverians versus wakandans or something it's you know real factions in a real world sort of scenario and it's kind of uh, uh, um i don't know i mean yeah it's a the writer is obvious in his uh, sympathies and uh, a little over again over the top in in that sense and yeah I don't know the the sort of joke they were going for with the end of kind of contrasting this back and forth of like what's Mark gonna do he's not gonna do anything he's not there at all you know? I don't know I feel like they could have that could have been done better without this like feeling like these poor guys would have been better off just shot by Mark in the first place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a weird mix of like a clever storytelling idea, a kind of gruesome end, you know, we, we don't really see that the guy who hired him, that Jacob Rum is as kind of bloodthirsty at all until sort of the end there. And then, uh, you know, 
so that, yeah, maybe that kind of pulls away from the joy of uh, Mark Hazard ripping on Stallone <laughs> for his goofy, goofy <laughs> action movies, I guess. But yeah, the yeah. art I struggled with on the first read. I was a little more forgiving uh, looking at it again. I think I, I've kind of been uh, looking for the good in all of the titles and stuff, but you know, I think this could have very well been drawn by like three people as far as I could tell. Yeah, the finishes is the the question mark because you'll see um, people, I don't know, kind of change their appearance from page to page. Like uh, Eli on page uh, like five is like when he's first introduced, it's sort of a very sketchy style. And then the next page, it's a much more polished style. And he looks yeah. like 20 year, years older and 20 pounds heavier. Is yeah, the same guy. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's um, the art is is um, I, I, yeah, serviceable, but it's kind of um, there's more variation there than you want, really. Yeah. Well, benefit of hearing about it on a podcast is you don't have to look at the art if you don't want to. So you just hear about all the crazy stuff Mark Hazard's doing. Pretty much with a cigarette at all times, it should be said. Like there's very few times where he's not uh, at least holding a cigarette. So often lighting one, all those sorts of things. Smoking will kill you, kids. Smoking will kill you. Yeah, yeah let's see. Um, so the long list of people who are trying to kill Mark Hazard. Add it on up. Um, yeah. So overall, the craftsmanship of the writing, top, um, the art, okay, mm -hmm. um, the theme, troubling. Yeah. <laughs> Where does that leave me? I don't know. Um, so I, overall, I enjoyed it, but um, left a bad taste in my mouth at the end. So. Um, but as I say, we get a new character. I'm hoping we'll see more of. So, back to uh, optimism for the future. All right. Let's see what happens in jail. Or, you know, seems to be pretty good at breaking out of jail. Yeah, I, I would give I would, this one a solid B. I think uh, maybe that's a little generous. But again, like the story is pretty okay. Uh, it's definitely a step down from last issue at the baseball game was both a lot of fun. And I think we got better Mark Hazard dialogue too. It was a lot more fun watching him interact with people at the game rather than, you know, his rival. Yeah. We just, we don't even know why he doesn't like him, but. <laughs> Super petty uh, stuff to hold a grudge over. They were at West Point and I know Mark was a, Bully, maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's hard hard to say. <laughs> this this guy doesn't get much sympathy. Yeah. No, I mean it's definitely played as kind of weaselly and uh, unlikable. So, I mean he's he's going against Mark Mark Hazard. So, he can't be the star of the show. So, I'll yeah. give it maybe a B plus. Just I, uh, overall, um, I, you know. The, the overall things I like about Mark Hazard are there, so I'm yeah. really generous with it. 
it's still my most look forward to uh, issue of the eight for sure because I have not read any of these before so it's all all brand new to me so it's exciting it's uh for me I, there's a number of ones that I've read somewhere between five and ten years ago and that's about as much as I can say for the yeah fair enough <laughs> all right so let's take a short break and then come back and talk Talk about some football players with Kickers Inc. Coming right back. Welcome back. Now, this is Stephen again, and I will be talking about Kickers, Inc. number three. This starts with a cover of um, Mr. Magnificent and Brick, both uh, out of uniform, fighting some sort of uh, demonic creatures with um, sort of a, a Satan worshiping cult in the background. So it's a good sort of spooky looking action scene uh, credited to Geiger and Nichols, unknown. And let's see, this came out in uh, September 30th, 1986. So going into the splash page, it's the Witches of Westchester. Um, this is probably a play on the Witches of Eastwick, which was a popular book at the time. And it became a movie later. Yeah, um, I remember West the movie. Westchester is, of course, a county uh, suburb of New York City. Um, sort of a rich county. Um, let's see. And this is, an in again, credits are kind of interesting. We have Tom DeFalco Plotter. Remember, it was created by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. And then Scripters is Tom DeFalco, pages 1 to 5, and Joe Duffy, pages 6 to 22. <laughs> I guess he got busy. Uh, <laughs> he had to leave town suddenly or something. I don't know. Um, Ron Friends is in penciling again. And uh, two anchors, Brett Breeding and Sam De La Rosa. I think DeFalco was writing Spider-Man at the same time, too. The uh, Yeah, being the creator doesn't mean you're going to stay on a universal new universe title that's uh, that's the first thing we learn um, yes <laughs> so the splash page um has a again sort of a satanic coven people in robes in a wooded clearing and uh they're listening to a um, person in a goat mask goat head mask with a uh dagger and some sort of wizard garb, I guess. And he's chanting a spell or a poem. Demon's blood that burns so bright, open wide our inner sight, unloose the creatures of the night as darkness now dispels the light. Mm. Yeah, poor man's Etrigan here. <laughs> 
So you can you can make out a couple of uh, dark figures in the back where the uh, woods are, and as you, you turn the page, and yeah, those are our kickers. They've got uh, their eye on the ball. Looks like our old our stoolie told the truth. A band of witches really do hang out in this park. Not quite suicide. These gents appear to be more interested in demonology than witchcraft. Mm. There's a difference, Brick. Yes. <laughs> Quite a bit, according to a course I once took on comparative religions. I'll do Brick's voice as like a British uh, posh accent from now on. I like it. Maybe he played his college football at Oxford. <laughs> they have a football team. <laughs> um, Jack uh, Magnaconti is suppressing a smile or a smirk. I think it's down, you guys. I'm laughing from hearing your accent. <laughs> Um, so the goat head guy is like, wait, I sense an unfriendly presence among us. Someone has broken our trust. He grabs someone and takes their mask off. You, Michael Courtney, you have betrayed us to outsiders. Uh, Courtney denies all. Let me go. <laughs> Silence. Lies cannot save you. You are a traitor to us. He's making hand gestures at this point. You have disgraced our sacred coven. Let your immortal soul be forever forfeit. Oof. Courtney, I uh, falls in here or what? But... He, he just seems to like collapse. Arg. And yeah, he's, he's, I don't know. It's interesting. Jack and the kickers spring into action. Um, come on, Courtney's the one who tipped us. That's, uh, yeah, I was wondering what they meant by the stoolie in the first panel there. Because, like, did they have, like, a huggy bear they go to whenever they want the word on the street? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, what happened to that kid? The big geek didn't even touch him. But they've been spotted, and uh, he's, like, uh, he seems to be, the, the goat head guy seems to throw something at them. And Dasher's like, what it was that thing? It bursts like some kind of water balloon. It smells terrible. Hope it doesn't stain my Dasher's the only one in the jumpsuit. Yeah, the only one. <laughs> no, no Darlene, too. Darlene is not there. Um, so it doesn't stain my suit. So from possibly Jack's point of view, suddenly there's two giant demons emerging from the fog. So the next page, what are the heck are these things, Jack? Where'd they come from? Don't ask me, Dash. Just keep swinging. And then he thinks to himself, what happened to suicide and brick? And I got to admit, every time I've seen a thing like this in a comic or, or cartoon, it's that like you're hallucinating that your friend is this crazy thing that you're fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was. I totally agree. I was thinking the exact same thing when he said that. I was like, "That's going to be them," and he's hallucinating them as monsters, and he smacks one of them or something. But yeah, yeah, it's a very well-established trope. But they um, did not use. Did not use it at all. Absolutely. They they we um, go over to um, Dash. Uh, no, Suicide and Brick are um, chasing after the Goathead guy through the woods, and. Uh, I, uh, I mean, Suicide's a pretty fast guy, so um, he's in the lead. 
Frick's uh, trying to catch up. But minutes later, they've lost the guy. And I lost it. Oh, man, I lost him in the dark and the trees. Hey, who are these two jokers? And they run into a couple of guys in suits who are like, uh-oh, looks like we've been spotted. Take him down. And then, then they, like, gut punch. Uh, suicide. What the heck, man? Who so you think... Guys? Were these the goathead guys like just um, like took off his costume and this is um, no, that's not going on there. What's going on here? No. So says, don't hurt him too bad. I don't think he's with the creeps we're after. Anyway, back to um, uh, well, Brick catches up with suicide and he's like, I got whacked by a pair of cheap suits. Members of the cult? No, these goons didn't look like the they go to prancing around the park in their to-dos. Hey, where's uh, everybody else? Jack is still back fighting what seemed to be hallucinatory phantoms. Yeah, he's swinging away, but really just nothing's happening. So he finally loses balance and falls into a creek, river, maybe. Um, Rick comes up. He found the others, and the guy who collapsed is in bad shape. And uh, everyone's kind of confused. And they're like, let's just get Courtney and Dash to a hospital. I've got a hunch. We just covered, got involved in a lot more trouble than we originally bargained for. Cut to this commercial. Is, <laughs> this is, yeah, where you go to commercial and there's like, or they play the title intro. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's structurally, it's very like, uh, yeah, TV show, cartoon kind of setup anyway soon at the hospital we get darlene and the kickers and this guy courtney who introduces himself as um, an assistant professor of literature at trace university and he talks about how he met uh professor jordan in the chemistry department and told him who told him about the coven and well that sounded interesting this is uh it's a, 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 an older African-American gentleman um, giving him like, uh, you know, hey, let's go do this uh, gestures. And then um, there's a uh, pictures of everyone dressed up in these robes and they said they were kind of doing this as a joke. It's a pretty slow, I guess, on Trace University in Westchester. Um, and then one night, this guy in a mask showed up. He says he was a ceremonial magician who could show us how to stop playing at witchcraft and lead us to real power. We, played, we thought he was a riot. We played along with the gag for a while. Why not? But then quickly, the meeting started to become more serious. Till one night, the magician conjured up a demon right before the eyes of the entire group. Let me see his memory of that. I guess it could be kind of like one of those college, like fraternity things, they have like weird hazing rituals and, you know, secret societies and maybe, uh, maybe it's a little it's, strange that the chemistry professor is recruiting people into his coven. It's <laughs> like, hey, that sounds fun. It's a little suggestive the way they're sort of picturing this, like, what is it you're really inviting me to, man? Um, the, you don't the, wear clothes underneath our robes. I, all I can say is it's the sort of thing that I think of more is connected to like the 60s and 70s, like um, 
hey, let's pretend we're Satanists. Okay, I guess. <laughs> and then what? <laughs> then what? I don't know. You go out in the woods a couple of times, and then they're like, yeah, this, this wasn't really the big payoff I was hoping for. Um, but you, he, Darlene's like, you saw a demon? Dash and I saw him too, Darl. Tonight, they're real. So he says that, uh, Courtney says that de- seeing that demon terrified him, but not as much as it did Ray Cannell, one of the students in the coven. He committed suicide. And there's a... Um, the official reason was academic pressures. But I know better. It was fear, fear and guilt over the horror we've un- helped to unleash upon the world. That and probably some academic pressure. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he, he has hung himself, as we sort of see um, suggested here. It was probably the darkest bit that we've had in Kickers so far. It's like college students killing themselves. Where initially we were thinking it was a little more kid-friendly. Eh, it's, it's wacky yeah. here, but also not. It's an yeah. interesting mix-up there. It's a little uh, harsh for, yeah, for a G rating. Yeah, it was not made it not a college suicide Scooby Doo episode, you know. <laughs> but I feel like we've mashed up those two things here. So yeah, maybe. So um, so they're like, so he called them in, and I knew that you all uh, were going to be holding a preseason mini camp here during the summer trimester, and so I gave you guys a call. So that's the the setup was that the team was there for like summer camp. Um, or preseason training or something. Um, so they, he's worried about all these demons that they've unleashed. And uh, but he's, the doctor set, gives him a clean bill of health. And uh, Jack says, uh, you know, you can uh, stay, uh, stay overnight at the hospital and we'll, uh, we'll take it from here. You can trust us. Um, so they, they go out and talk to the... Um, Every, you know, Dash, I guess, got a face full of gas and maybe feels a little weird, or maybe that's just the lights behind them. I'm not quite sure if that's like supposed to be Dash's confusion or something. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm not really sure either. And um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with our team FOP. <laughs> it's nothing more than usual. Everyone gives him a hard time about the clothes, but uh, Dash, uh, you know, looks good. And he wears the uniform, which I wish more of the kickers, you know, remembered to do. Anyway, Brick uh, in, has an interesting uh, couple of lines. He's uh, disgusted with this coven activity. Man, make, doing things like that makes me a man wonder what's wrong with folks these days. Turning to demons for entertainment when most of them ain't on, even on a first name basis with God yet. Don't they realize kind of, that kind of game's a one-way ticket to an eternity of misery? I get the sense Brick uh, goes to church every Sunday. Yeah, class and church. Is <laughs> it? Well, actually, he plays the games on Sunday too, though. Okay. Well, I, anyway, Brick's a uh, a devout guy. Um, so they they talk about like what was this? Was this real or I don't know, and. Uh, Jack says, you know, we know these creatures are real. We've seen them. So they know there's something going on and they'll investigate it. 
then we cut to a scene of uh, Darlene and Jack um, sort of at, uh, at home that night. And uh, Jack, I knew when I married a pro quarterback that danger and injuries were going to be a part of your life. Um, okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. Got real serious all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so he, all he, he did talks was about fall in the river. <laughs> that's, that's about all you had, really. Um, he, he's uh, Jack doesn't really think it's that dangerous, but he's he's never understood why his brother Steve's intensifier so dramatically enhanced my physical capabilities without having any effect at all on the other athletes who used it. But the fact remains that Steve died because he got into trouble and had no one to turn to. Mm, wow. Really bringing the room down here. But, uh, <laughs> the, yeah. the, it seemed like so, they kind of ignored the brother dying in the beginning, but now all of a sudden he's the motivation for Kicker's Inc. Yeah. So he's also talking about, he's having doubts about continuing his football career. And he says that since the enhancement is, it's become so easy, so boring. I ask myself if it's ethical for me to continue to play the way I am when I'm no longer sure if I'm even human. Ooh. Easy answer, man. No, it's not <laughs> remotely ethical to have superpowers <laughs> and play football. <laughs> he, he will not give that idea up, though. No. Um, so... <laughs> Flip the page to um, a very uh, a bit of more light entertainment as the coach for the summer camp, literally Coach Kirby. Yeah. And yes, it is a not at all uh, off the living model of Jack King Kirby um, yelling at him. Screaming at him, yeah. Did you get off your butt and do something? What do you want me to explain, Coach Kirby? He's like, uh, Jack has not signed his contract, I guess, and uh, Kirby wants him to. I hear Kirby. Ah, sorry, Coach. Contract signing. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't very Jerry Maguire here. You know, it's like, uh, it's just a contract that he has to sign. You know, it's like he, Jack doesn't have agents and a team of publicists. And well, maybe Kicker's Inc. does now, but anyway. He's uh, Kirby's like, um, he even let you bring your little wifey to the mini camp. I didn't realize that was like a problem for everyone, but maybe, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know so little about football camp, but same here. I watch football, but that's a little into the weeds there, so. Yeah, so they go out and they have a practice session and um, they're a little rusty, honestly. Um, so um, there's a new guy on the team and um, they're Suicide and Dash are kind of um, kidding each other that they're going to get replaced by this new kid, Hawkins. And, uh, but Hawkins comes over and he's actually super polite to them. Oh, uh, are you uh, Dallas Corbin, the Dasher? I'm really proud to be on the same team as you, sir. Uh, you think maybe later this week you could uh, give me a few pointers? Back <laughs> off, Jimmy Olsen. He's very, like, got his nose up the guy's um, bootay. 
Um, so they're, they're pleasantly surprised by the kid. But getting back to the story, um, where to now, boss? To the chem lab to see what Professor Jordan can tell us. And so a couple of them head off to other places. Rick is going to go to the library. The studious guy. So we smash cut to this chem lab. And uh, I guess Jordan is, Professor Jordan is saying, I don't understand why all of you are asking me about the coven. Do you want to join or? Do you want to join my coven? <laughs> I, got, yeah. I got room for a football team on my coven. Um, he's like, um, Jack, Jack is like, well, I want to, you know, haven't things gotten out of hand? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Things are, everything's fine. And there's nothing to worry about. And his hands are shaking while he sort of does a chemical experiment, which is just pouring test tubes into a beaker. Bubbling beaker. And uh, there's no Bunsen burner underneath. And he's like, why are you nervous? Get out of here, all of you. Trying to get my baking soda and vinegar to work. <laughs> my funding depends on it. <laughs> he's... um. Like he's wearing a coat, but it's not a lab coat. It's more like a trench coat. I don't really know if I would yeah. recommend Dr. Jordan's. Uh, no eye protection, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Goggles in the lab. Andy and I were both kind of disappointed in Professor Jordan here. That's... Yeah. He's definitely, yeah. So few <laughs> relatable characters in uh, the new universe, but. Um... Who measures and pour th pours things in test tubes anyway? I, you know. Get a graduated cylinder, man. I, I use a round bottom flask. I don't know about you. Man. Test tubes, beakers. That's for workup. Come on. <laughs> so they were, uh, they didn't get much out of him, but uh, Darlene's like, well, I suppose we better get the names from the other members from uh, Courtney and assuming he knows actually, but um, they notice that there's this limousine has been tailing them for a while. And when they confront them, it's the two guys who sucker punched um, suicide. Yep. Suicide earlier. And suddenly they're all like uh, also very erudite. Please, please, fisticuffs are not necessary. In fact, Mr. Smythe, my associate, Mr. Nunzio and I would esteem it a favor if you were to Overlook the unseemly violence with which we handled you during our previous encounter. Hmm. Okay. So this is Mr. Guido and Mr. Nunzio. Um, and they invite him into- I wonder what they do. <laughs> not in the chemistry department. Um, yeah. Maybe they want to join the coven. <laughs> That's why they're trying to find them. <laughs> Give me a hand with finding a coven around here. Hello, has anyone seen a coven? Um, the professor keeps giving him the wrong address, so they're just lost in the woods. <laughs> Is there an address in the woods? Maybe. Um, anyway, that seems pretty sketchy, but uh, Jack's like, okay, I'll go along. I'm basically invulnerable now, so I'm also a famous football player, so that should help uh, avoid any mishaps. One would think. So I imagine you know who I am, says this person. 
There are very few people who haven't heard of Don Salvatore Cannelloni. Yes, it's a um, stereotypical um, Italian mob boss, apparently. Oh, yeah. In the, in the stereotypical restaurant meeting. Restaurant meeting is good. Yeah, everyone, well, place is empty. I guess it's lunchtime. And uh, he says, your, your name is John Magna Conte. It's, but uh, tell me, in the neighborhood where you grew up, did they ever call you Giovanni? What? <laughs> now we find out the truth. Mr. Magna Magnificent is a secret Italian. Man, he's one of those celebrities that changed his name to sound more uh, all-American. Indeed. And he continues, the coven you're investigating, the member who killed himself, Ray Cannell, he shortened his name from Ramon Cannelloni. Your son, you catch on quickly. So um, they talk a bit and uh, he just wants uh, the names of the people who drove his boy to this. Um, you know, academic pressure, you could look up the list of classes he was taking and take out that whole list. He's not, not buying the academic pressure thing, I guess. Um, so he's, uh, but Jack tells him, I'm not a killer. I, if there are people to be punished, let the police and the courts handle it. And uh, he's like, I'm not asking you to kill anyone. Says, I don't believe in aiming guns so that other people can fire them. Mm. So a little more, another moral dilemma for Mr. Magnificent. Will and he handle this one well? Yeah. He uh, walks off, but uh, uh, Don Cannelloni gives him a, a slip of paper. And the next scene, the uh, four male kickers are talking about um, where they're going, which is a um, mysterious locked up building that uh, Cannelloni slipped him the address for. So they check it out. Um, Jack breaks the lock to get inside. And he and Brick go inside the building and they find a pentagram all set for tonight's ceremony. Hmm, things are getting real. Yeah, Brick finds a book of shadows, a diary of the cult's progress. Again, Brick, Brick is uh, both very religious, but is also an expert on comparative religions and uh, all these sort of uh, things. So, Just about anything he seems to be the expert on. He's the smart one in the group. I, that's, it's just that simple. You only need one smart one in the group. True. Rick's got it. So they, uh, Rick notice, can see the membership dues is giving them a lot of money and uh, group, group is doing well. And suddenly, too bad no one is protecting you. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Mr. Goathead is there. It's him, the master of ceremonies. MC Goathead. Yes. And suddenly there's gas everywhere. And Brick and Jack are fading out pretty fast. The guy says, hey, amazing, a double dose and you're still on your feet. Well, time to start hitting you with my stick. <laughs> Is the gas cloud the same color as the chemical reaction from the lab before? It is. I think mm, you gotta go. Maybe, eh. not quite. That would have been clever. But uh, similar. Um, 
So then we switch to outside and the other cult members are arriving in those hooded robes and uh, Dasher and Suicide are uh, wondering if they should do something. So they're like, these two, these look like the last two now. And they grab a couple out of the line, pull them behind the wall. And then next thing you know, Suicide and Dash are in the robes and they're sneaking in. Right, another classic cartoon kind of setup of stealing the outfit. Of course, they have also apparently beaten unconscious a couple of uh, <laughs> cosplaying <Randos>. college students. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, food for those thought. guys are were pretty harmless. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we switch inside. Uh, Jack has been chained to a like sacrificial altar, and. Um, Let's see. Poor Brick is kind of changed to the side in that like Princess Leia stuck to Jabba the Hutt kind of position too. He's like just He's just yeah, yeah. He's sort of stuck but not allowed to be not not sort of center stage. So um that throws some sort of powder on them and they start seeing visions of uh again, sort of light monsters, just some sort of phantasms. And the guy the Goathead guy, in the name of our dark lord, Dread Beelzebub. Nope, Beelzebub. <laughs> oh, you're right. Beelzebub. He screwed he's it up. <laughs> oh, man. This guy Beelzebub. really needs to read the golden bow again. Okay, <laughs> so suddenly, Dash and Suicide are in the midst of the coven without the robes on, but, you know, um, fighting all the, the random people there and uh, um, trying to save Jack. Whipped off those robes pretty fast, I guess. But Jack is actually fine. I wasn't going to let them hurt me, fellas. I just wanted to see if he really would. He you know, just pops those uh, manacles um, through his super strength. Goathead guy then attacks him still with the knife. Die, fool. Um, but Jack smacks him and sends him flying. The fights are still going on. All the kickers are sort of you know, fisticuffs with the random uh, cult coven members. And uh, Goathead guy uh, seems to be making a run for it. Whoa, looks like our host is leaving the party. And Jack grabs a chain smacks him um, so he falls and then now let's see what he's hiding under that goat face this is the most scooby-doo thing you could do without having a giant dog walking around could it possibly be the guy who was leading the coven but has never been in any of the meetings since then who do you think is behind the mask, dear <laughs> listeners? Yeah, send us an email. <laughs> Newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. See if you get it right. Of course, we're going to tell you in like two seconds. Yes. Send it was quick. it the only, literally the only other person who fits the suspect uh, who's at the university? Um, I, yes, it's Professor Jordan. He, he's not too happy. And neither's Jack. Why, Professor Jordan, aren't you ashamed of yourself? <laughs> In fact, no. 
<laughs> no, and there's nothing you can do to me, fool. I've done nothing illegal. This has all been in the name of science. I was doing research for government and funding and military purposes with hallucinogens. That's not illegal. Um, <laughs> and then after his funding was cut, it came up with the Coven, Coven scheme. Dues gave me the money to continue, and the members were my willing test subjects. So he took those poor kids' money and experimented on them. That's not illegal. Uh, yeah. He didn't just try and stab somebody either. That's not illegal. Yeah, but he's he's pretty um, pleased with himself, and uh, he just he, and. Um, the, the brick says, "Yeah, this was you know, pretty much how witches in history were like. Uh, they took some small doses doses of poison and then imagined a lot of flying around on summoning demons. So he he basically sends them packing. And remember, if you try to bring charges against me, you uh, I've got a room full of witnesses. You broke in here and attacked me. Yeah, okay." Jack says, I have no intention of calling the police. So we're going to just let him get away? It's not exactly. We know Professor Jordan is guilty, but the police can't touch him. However, there might be someone who can. And he goes to tell either Mr. Guido or Mr. Nunzio, that's Jordan of the chemistry department. Man at the top of the stairs and the robes. And he's like, and he's a little um, not too thrilled with himself for dropping a dime on this guy, but he's you know, just another one of the people who go through life inventing their own rules instead of obeying the ones that bind the rest of us. So <laughs> says the guy who runs the organization that responds when the <laughs> normal authorities can't uh, can't get things done. Yeah, okay. it's uh, all right, Jack. A, not buying it. So the next day at training, um, Courtney is there, feels better. Yeah, everyone, you know, doctor says I'm great now. I'm going to tell Professor Jordan as soon as I can find him. Yeah, <laughs> Rick's like, it may take you a while. <laughs> um, so Coach Kirby comes running and says, Hey, thanks for signing your contract, uh, Jack. And uh, so the little talk we had made a difference? Not really, coach. It's just that in one area of my life, I like knowing that the people I'm up against are playing by the same rules I am. Okay. What, what the hell are you talking about, Jack? <laughs> you're, you're enhanced superhuman now, Jack. I don't know if they're oh. really playing by the same rules you are. But next issue, cry vengeance. Hmm. Who's crying and vengeance, I wonder? The... Uh, Facing page, instead of that Star Comics ad from Merck, uh, has the New Universe um, gang um, ad, which is kind of strange why they would put that in Merck, but not this. I don't know. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, a little backwards there. But um, yeah, that was a great episode of Scooby-Doo, I guess, <laughs> except for the... Uh, I got some real problems with this one. Student suicide and... Oh. possibly murdering the professor i don't know yeah so he so he can't bust the chemistry professor even though the guy tied him down and just tried to stab him to death 
right? So he sells him out to the mob, who will most likely kill him, then goes back to playing football, you know, where he has a crazy unfair advantage. That's right. So like, yes. I feel like he did everything wrong. <laughs> Every wrong choice Mr. Magnificent has just made here. <laughs> he is not on the moral high ground. As I said, I know I read some of these a few years ago, and that's like a lingering memory of kickers is like Jack's moral ambiguity is kind of um, not, doesn't take him in the right direction. He keeps being like, I feel like conflicted about staying in this game and professionally playing, even though I'm, you know, it's like I took a million steroids, but I think I'll do it. I thought that's why he formed Kickers Inc. in the first place, right? So he can do good with his powers instead of just cheat at football. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what the lesson here is. He's, he's going to just keep cheating at football. That's, he's realized that's his real gift in life. But, <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I thought the student suicide actually would have been better if that was like a secret murder that they just didn't um uh, you know realize at the time but maybe that's too complicated for, uh, yeah but it might have been harder to wrap that in um you know it, it's still kind of hard to justify the rest of the faceless coven group right we don't really get to see any of them but uh, presumably they're just college students kind of going along for the ride but they're not batting an eye when they go from summoning monsters to like trying to sacrifice a real guy yeah. I feel yeah. like if the cops had busted in, a bunch of them would have talked and maybe wouldn't have needed to rely on the mob here. Yeah, it was a really like going taking uh, Professor Jordan's legal advice for his own like, here's why you can't you know do anything to me. <laughs> just, like, why don't we just take you to the cops and let them see how that works out? Um, it's a kind of the second time that the, the, the kickers have sort of ditched out like, all right, we're just going to go then. That's like we've destroyed something or broken up the gang. Um, but we don't really want to deal with the cops, so we're gone. So, <laughs> we don't want to have to follow the rules. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The art was a little, you know for maybe this time but um, overall um, I'm not sure if the new plotting from Joe Duffy um, was the problem but uh, we'll see I don't know yeah so what were your thoughts on Kickers Inc number three so so one of my friends told me his movie rating system which I'm gonna I'm gonna defer the grading system this time and, and borrow this so he said instead of one to ten he goes five to negative five, five being really good, negative five being so bad that it's good. Fair enough. Okay. So I'm going negative two. <laughs> right, so like there, it was so out there and goofy and weird uh, that there's some fun parts in there, um, but it wasn't that good. So like enough bad, it's good elements in there, the chemistry professor starting the evil coven and the you know, ridiculous moralizations. So 
yeah listeners you are lucky you have two chemistry professors going through this with you because i don't think most readers would get the would enjoy that to, to the level we do but uh, for us the few very few chemists that show up in most um, comic books and things are evil so in a yeah. way we're used to it and this guy was evil <laughs> But, you know, there's like not, not even in pop culture, there's not a lot of chemists besides, you know, Walter White and Breaking Bad and whatnot. But yeah, I like, I like seeing the lab, uh, even if he, uh, I like being able to call him out on his, his broken rules. Um, the coloring, you don't get to enjoy as the part of the podcast, but they turned suicide into a white guy. Oh, yeah. He was not. Right. They, and they so turned Jasher the, purple. Yeah, he was really an ambiguous color before. I was thinking maybe like Puerto Rican or something. I couldn't figure darker, out what they were going for. Yeah, he was definitely darker skinned, turned basically a white guy in this one. But then, yeah, he's basically the same as Jack at this point. And he was definitely um, the, the Jack. Uh, uh, brick, um, dash, and suicide were all varying shades, but they were all uh, people of color. So yeah, and even in the last panel that we see Dasher, he's white, and in most of the panels where we see Dasher, he's purple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's What's happening? I mean, there was there was definite limitations with the old coloring system. You only had like sixty four or something to choose from. And uh, I don't know if you want to um... imagine it's like you send it out, you print it, you get it back. The editor looks at it like, oh, man, and then what are you going to do? Are you going to scrap the whole run or just send it out and hope for the best? I'm guessing this yeah. is send it out and hope for the best. It's pretty late in the in the um, order of um, production, too. So, yeah, you. you you may have just be at this point committed to getting this out, no matter how, how the coloring looks. The color, it's just one colorist, so I don't know. I didn't check to see if that was a previous one, but. Um, yeah, not, this was not a good issue, but it is entertaining to a degree and just it's, scooby-doo wackiness i was i was curious how they're going to handle monsters i was pretty sure they were not going to have real monsters that would kind of break our new universe rules already um and so they didn't right they just had you know convenient hallucinations yeah that part works i mean yeah summoning demons would be a very marvel universe thing but not a new universe thing um and so this works out well you see again the sort of government paranoia of you know testing hallucinogens and military you know applications of it on a college students is actually probably a thing that i don't know there were groups that got away with things like that mk ultra experiments and stuff i forget how far those go back but hmm. um, there was a lot of post-war uh shenanigans from our intelligence services so that was intelligence in air quotes yes <laughs> don't get me in trouble with them 
<laughs> their last thing. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the the chemistry professor going crazy after he loses his funding kind of hits home though too. I think. <laughs> it is. It's like somebody nailed that research. I only wish sometimes I could start a coven of whatever drugged up hippies. Um, Maybe if we had both joined a more established lab uh, in graduate school, yeah. then we would have been invited to the coven. Like there was nobody there uh, leading the way for us. So. Yeah, let me think. Uh, there's a couple of labs in at at our school that I can imagine forming a coven, but one of us, one of us, would be too popular. Um, you know, we got a little from Darlene. She at least sort of shows up in the non-action scenes. Um, I'm still sort of waiting to see if she'll get more developed as a character. I don't know. Yeah, she's definitely kind of a sidekick, but uh, she was way more involved in the action last issue. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a C plus. I C mean, plus. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm not uh, regretting reading it, but um, the uneven tone um, and execution kind of, but it's a, um, yeah, I'm having fun. But uh, like we said before, in, in 1986, there would have been like 10 Marvel books on the stand that week. And, you know, you're competing with some pretty strong uh, things that were coming out at that time. So yeah. even if you know you're like, okay, this is fine. You know, if you're short a uh, short on cash that week, you know, I can see where it'll you'll get it. Uh, you, you might cut that uh, subscription. Yeah. But in the future, in the twenties, right? We're in the twenties. <laughs> then. Uh, it is kind of pretty fun to grab and look back at it, especially because you can generally find these issues very inexpensively if you can find them in person. Yeah, um, Andy and I would recommend you uh, search through quarter bins or dollar bins. Um, that's you can sometimes in if they'll have um, bags of you know prepackaged runs of comics, and a lot of like those will be like the first year of. Uh, New universe title. Um, so definitely do try to go out and grab a few yourselves and read along with us. Any more thoughts? Oh, that sounds like a perfect ending. Perfect. All righty. Thanks. And we'll see you back at the Spinner Rack next time.